So the abortion crazies push abortion for the holidays, as well as a holiday guide to push your feticide ideology on your relatives by only using abortion industry approved language. Then the New York Times calls a baby's beating heart the pulsing of what becomes the fetus's heart. Finally, in a unanimous bipartisan effort, President Trump makes animal cruelty a federal crime. But what about the babies? I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to Unaborted today. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, as I always say, this show and this podcast is about creating a community of unaborted human beings who are grateful that they were not aborted, that their mother made the right choice, and are here to be a life advocate and defender of the most defenseless members of our human society, unborn children. And so this is a one-stop shop and a place for you to come and get equipped and educated with what's happening in the country, especially as our country is tearing at the seams right now, as our social fabric is disintegrating on the issue of abortion, especially leading up to the 2020 election. So consider this a place to get educated and equipped to defend life. And if you want to help us reach more people, simply give us a five-star rating and review. Tell us what you think about this show. That would really help us reach more people. So The abortion crazies are not resting, and they are pushing abortion for the holidays, and even a guide to push your feticide ideology on your relatives by only using abortion industry-approved words. Because evil doesn't rest, right? Evil doesn't take a break for the holidays. And we're going to talk a lot about that this episode. So at rewire.news, which by the way is an absolute garbage heap of a website, do not let your children or your teenagers ever check out this website one of the most furthest left and morally bankrupt websites ever, but at least they're honest with their position. They don't pretend to be objective journalists. They published an article on November 22nd by Paige Alexandria called What to Do If You Need an Abortion Over the Holidays. Just encouraging people. Here's how you can kill your baby, especially if you want to hide it from your family members and it's really difficult to get it because it's the holidays. So the article goes and says, a few years ago, I found out I was pregnant on December 23rd. I was still putting the final touches on our tree and singing along to Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Now all I wanted for Christmas was to not be pregnant. Isn't that nice? Even though I was confident in my decision to have an abortion, navigating the timing was difficult emotionally and logistically. The first available appointment my local clinic had was well into the new year, three weeks later to be exact. And like many people, even though I had insurance, it wouldn't cover an abortion. With the holidays approaching, tis the season for limited availability at local abortion clinics. If you or someone you love needs an abortion during the holidays, these tips may help. Oh my, sign of our times, sign of our times. Not only do they do evil, but they encourage others to do so as well, Romans 1. So she gives 10 tips to help kill your baby over the holidays. And I'll break down some of them. Some of them I'll just read so we don't get too nauseous. First one, if your city has more than one abortion clinic, shop it. Shop around. Find where it's cheaper to kill your baby. Second, consider traveling to an abortion clinic in a nearby city. You know, they might have better prices too. Three, call the clinic multiple times a day for cancellations. Maximize on someone else who decided not to kill their baby immediately so you can do it. Four, contact an abortion fund to help you pay for the cost of the procedure. And they tell these women reading the article where they can get help financially to kill their baby. Five, ask for money instead of gifts. And then she says in the article, you don't have to tell people what the money's for. (laughs) But if it's just a polyp and it's just like pulling your wisdom teeth and it's not killing a baby, then 
Why have moral qualms against telling them that the money is to kill a baby? Why hide away from that? Because even you, Paige Alexandria, know exactly what is involved in an abortion, the intentional killing of an unborn human being. Number six, if you're under 18 and can't involve your parents, contact an organization that can help you with a judicial bypass. And she goes on to say that if you do live in a state where it requires parental consent and notification for an abortion, then check out some of these organizations that will help you find a judicial bypass so you don't have to tell your parents. But you can't be under 18 and get freaking Advil from your high school. But let me help you find a judicial bypass so you can kill your baby. Number seven, read up on what to expect during an abortion. Except don't read anything that would provide a realistic look into it. Don't read anything by, I don't know, like Abby Johnson, the former director of a Planned Parenthood clinic in Bryan, Texas. Don't read anything from pro-life people. And so she points people just to pro-choice stuff. She says it can be a challenge to find unbiased, factual information when learning about abortion. But many clinics are partners with the National Abortion Federation. So you can read information you can trust on their website. Just points them right to the National Abortion Federation. Nowhere else. So much for encouraging the objective pursuit of truth. All right, number eight, visit storytelling websites that highlight the real experiences of people needing an abortion. Notice how they call it people needing an abortion, not women. (laughs) Um, And then she points them only to websites like Shout Your Abortion and others that tell the stories of people who love abortion and have had abortions. Number nine, avoid pregnancy resource centers because they're fake medical clinics and they're going to, they're going to, they might offer to show you your baby with an ultrasound. Uh, And then number 10, it says, use your support network. And then Paige, the author here says, for me, seeing pregnancy announcements during Christmas made me feel guilty, even though I didn't think I was doing anything wrong by having an abortion. Wait, wait, say that again. I was feeling guilty, but I knew I wasn't doing anything wrong. Then why were you feeling guilty? (laughs) Follow your moral conscience for once and allow it to lead you to truth. Eternity is written on the heart of man and hope springs eternal from the human breast. We cannot but acknowledge the reality that we are image bearers of an all good and all knowing, all loving, all powerful God. And the way that our brains and minds work are a mirror, are an evidence, are a signature of the divine in the way that we have been formulated. These are whispers of eternity that have been put into our soul for a reason, and they point back to the creator. Please acknowledge that. But of course, she doesn't. She kills her baby. And then she says, but like many, I grew up in a society that associates a pregnancy, especially during the holidays, as something to celebrate. So that's why she was feeling guilty about getting an abortion, even though she didn't know it was wrong. It's because our society says that a pregnancy is something to celebrate. Of course, it's something to celebrate because it's not a pregnancy. It's a new human being. It's the posterity of the nation. It's your biological offspring. It's your son or it's your daughter that I'm assuming here you engage in a consensual act of sex that led the creation of a new human being, unless you are the 0.5% of women who are raped, in which case you're murdering a human being that you that you agreed to the possibility of having when you engaged in sex. And then when she talks about using your support network to kill your baby over the holidays, she says, find friends who will celebrate your choice, basically, who will say, yay, shout your abortion. Or also, here's some websites to find abortion doulas. Lovely. So this article is pushing abortion over the holidays and helping, especially young women, navigate obtaining an abortion without informing their parents 
and doing so quickly so they don't have to deal with the guilty conscience because our society says babies are a blessing and something to be celebrated. Now, there is an irony here, isn't it? There is a deep irony here of combining abortion at Christmas time. Because Christmas and the holidays, which by the way, just comes from the word holy days and they're holy days because it's the celebration of Christ, okay? So for those of you who say, don't say holidays, say Christmas, same thing. These holy days, this Christmas season, are the celebration of Christ entering human history as an unborn child, as a fetus, becoming one of us, fully God and fully man. And so because we bear his image and his likeness, we have the Imago Dei, then life is sacred, life is valuable. But he came first as a fetus. He entered human history as a fetus. And if the divine, full, fully God and fully man, unborn Jesus had value, then so do we in the womb because we bear his image and his likeness. And attacking those that Christ has created is an attack on God. So there's this irony here of this season that's supposed to be about celebrating the incarnation of Christ as a fetus, as an embryo, as a zygote, as an unborn human being, coupled with increased attacks on other unborn children who have value because they bear the image of that fetal Christ. I mean, that's a dark irony. That's pretty depraved. And we know from the Bible that attacking those that Christ has created is an attack on Christ, right? This was what Jesus said in the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, right? He says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And they say to him, Lord, when did we do those things? And he said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And then he turns to the goats, right? In Matthew 25, and he says, away from me, evildoers. For I was hungry and you did not give me something to eat. I was thirsty and you did not give me something to drink. I was a stranger and you did not let me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not come to visit me. And they said, Jesus, when did we not do those things? And he said, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. So notice how seriously God takes apathy. Notice how seriously God takes the shrugging of shoulders, the moral shrug, the moral apathy to those in need of help. And that's just apathy. That's not even a sin of commission. That's a sin of omission. And then Jesus takes it a significantly step further in regards to the sin of commission, the sin of explicitly attacking children as opposed to a moral shrug. He says that it's better to be drowned to death than cause a little one to stumble, right? Well, how about dismembering a little one? That's what Luke 17, 2 says. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. If it's better for you to be drowned to death than to cause a little one to stumble, what about if you intentionally dismember that little one? Seems a lot worse to me than just causing one to stumble from a moral perspective. So look how seriously God takes the sin of omission and commission. And abortion is a sin of commission that is an explicit attack on unborn children who were created in the image of the fetal Christ who incarnated himself in the womb of a woman that he had created himself. And that's what the Christmas season is all about.
the savior who came as one of us and then predicted and pulled off his own resurrection. So there is a deep, disgusting, and dark irony to pushing abortion over the Christmas season. And I think this is why Paul says that these are the people who God has given over to the depravity of their thinking. And we need to mourn for them and we need to pray for them. But it gets worse. It doesn't stop there. Miss Magazine decides to publish a guide to push abortion ideology on your relatives. And you see these articles all the time now, right? Especially during Thanksgiving. There's a bunch about like how to talk to your angry conservative uncle. And yet you'll never see any from Republicans on how to talk to your loony leftist niece. It's just always directed against conservatives because that's what the mainstream media is going to pitch, right? That if you're a conservative, you're a deeply angry, evil human being because you believe in the principles that were the founding principles of our nation. Uh, so they always go just one way. And so they publish this to encourage uh, feticide apologists, or another word for them is pro-choice advocates, to defend their pro-choice ideology with their deeply immoral, evil, conservative, pro-life family members over the holidays. So on November 26, it, they published this by NARAL Pro-Choice America as the author how not to talk about abortion. And so they give you pro tips, pro tips for responsibly engaging in conversations about abortion. All right, so here we go. Call abortion bans unconstitutional laws intended to ban abortion. So don't call it an abortion ban because that might insinuate that it's actually an abortion which kills a baby. Call it unconstitutional law. See, it's illegal. Ooh. Secondly, don't say heartbeat bill. All these like Georgia and Ohio and Louisiana and others passing heartbeat bills, which would make it illegal to kill the baby when there's a detectable heartbeat at six weeks. Don't say that. Say abortion ban before many women know they're pregnant. See, because that's going to resonate more with the pro-life moderate who maybe you can win over to our abortion ideology by saying that these women don't even know they're pregnant yet. See, so they really had their, their choice stripped from them. Thirdly, don't say late-term abortion. And then the article says, which is not medically accurate. They say it's not medically accurate to call something a late-term abortion, even though we came up with trimesters. And so if it was in a later trimester, a later term, then it would be a late-term abortion. They say, don't say that. It's not medically accurate. Say abortion later in pregnancy. See, because if you call it a pregnancy, then you won't risk inciting any emotional connection with the thing being aborted, with the pregnancy. So then she says, remember that late-term abortion is not medically accurate and is a loaded term that Republicans have weaponized to describe abortion later in pregnancy at the expense of women and families experiencing imaginably difficult situations. So Republicans have weaponized the term late-term abortion in order to communicate reality that it actually is a late-term abortion? Isn't abortion weaponized? Isn't abortion a weaponized procedure that when successful murders an unborn child, an unborn human being? And then she says it's not medically accurate, which what the heck does that even mean? It's not medically accurate to say there is such a thing, like these things actually happen? Okay, well then let's look at the Guttmacher Institute which used to be Planned Parenthood's statistical research branch and is a pro-choice organization. They report that 1.3% of annual abortions occur after 20 weeks. That would be a late-term abortion. And so the pro-choice people shrug their shoulders and say, eh, 1.3%, that's like hardly anything. Yeah, except we kill a million babies a year. So small percentages represent large numbers, don't they? When you're talking about a million babies a year, that would translate to, I believe, around 12,000 babies killed in 
a not medically accurate late-term abortion. <laughs> and then this 2013 Guttmacher article says, Guttmacher, right, pro-choice, says, quote, data suggests that most women seeking later terminations are not doing so for reasons of fetal anomaly or life endangerment, which completely undercuts and blows up this woman's narrative over at Miss Magazine when she says that late-term abortions aren't medically accurate and they're weaponized by Republicans at the expense of women and families experiencing imaginably, imag uh, unimaginably difficult situations. So what she's saying is when they do happen, they're medically necessary to save the life of the mother or because the baby has a fetal anomaly and is not going to be viable or live after birth. But then Guttmacher says, actually, data suggests that most women seeking these late-term abortions do not do so for reasons of fetal anomaly or life endangerment. Oops, oops, your narrative just got imploded by those in on your side of the aisle, those who agree with you. More of their recommendations on engaging in responsible conversations on abortion on the holidays is don't use incendiary dangerous terms like infanticide or born alive. Oh, so the term infanticide is dangerous. Just saying that term is dangerous. It's not dangerous when the term happens, when a baby's actually killed after they're born, which is infanticide. Those are incendiary dangerous words. And we shouldn't be surprised, right? The left actually thinks that there's such a thing as hate speech. That if you say certain words they don't like, they can label it as hate speech because those words are actually violence against me. Um, no, the procedure is violence. The killing of babies is violent. Words that describe it are not violent. So she says, instead say, quote, these inflammatory comments are part of a larger anti-choice movement. That's what you should say that. Or say, a term not grounded in medical science. Infanticide is a term not grounded in medical science. Or say, a term intended to evoke violent imagery. Well, that's exactly right. It is a term intended to evoke violent imagery by merely using words that reflect reality. It's not hyperbole to say some babies are born alive. It's not hyperbole to say that if you kill a baby born alive, that's infanticide. That's just reality. <laughs> so then she goes on and say, they also like bringing up born alive to describe the notion of a baby surviving an attempted abortion, which is not grounded in medical science and is intended to evoke disturbing and violent imagery. Again, just sticking their head fully in the sand up to their shoulders and refusing to acknowledge that words have meanings and those meanings are objective and you don't get to rewrite the definition of words simply because you don't like people knowing that you support what those words mean. <laughs> so, so is this true, right? Is this true that babies who are born alive and survive an attempted abortion is not grounded in medical science? Well, no, it's not because there are currently an estimated 280 living abortion survivors in the United States. And that's just estimated. That's just what we know right now. You can check out Melissa Odin, friend of mine, Melissa Odin at her website, and she works with a lot of these abortion survivors. Okay. So obviously it's blatantly, patently false and borderline insane to say that there is no such thing as born alive human surviving an attempted abortion. They literally, they say that's not grounded in medical science. It's right here. Except there's at least 280 living abortion survivors right now in the United States of America. You hack. My goodness. I mean, how many times does reality have to slap you in your cheek for you to say that facts exist, two plus two equals four, and sometimes babies die? Furthermore, Kermit Gosnell was convicted for killing women and abortion survivors. He's serving three lifetime sentences in jail. There's a documentary on him called Gosnell, America's most prolific serial killer. And if he didn't kill a baby in the womb, sometimes he'd hold them up by their little ankle as they screamed and snip their spinal cords. Obviously, he was killing babies who were born alive. 
the unwillingness for people to acknowledge this reality. Now, are they actually insane and won't acknowledge reality? Probably not. They're probably just hacks who are resorting to euphemistic doublespeak and lies in order to advance their immoral agenda, which makes you that much more problematic and concerning to the American public. So what does this all mean? This, this, this pushing abortion during the holidays, this guide to push your abortion ideology and onto your relatives over the holidays. Well, it means that evil doesn't take Christmas off. Evil doesn't take a break. Evil never rests. Since this is Christmas time, I think it is perfectly appropriate and helpful for us to make a comparison here that is very warranted. That comparison is Herod. That comparison is a man trying to kill babies at the first Christmas. You think this is new, pushing abortion, pushing the killing of babies at Christmas? It's not new. In fact, the first Christmas involved a vicious, violent attack to kill baby Jesus, for whom Christmas revolves around, and a bunch of other babies because this crazy infanticidal maniac was pissed off. Sound similar? Yeah, it sounds like the abortion industry, doesn't it? So what does this mean? It means two things. It means evil was trying to kill the baby Jesus on the very first Christmas. And now the modern movement of baby killers is as animated and committed to killing babies as Herod was. And this, this is what happened in the story, right? Herod, Herod was, was, was going after to kill baby Jesus because he didn't want someone to threaten his rule or his throne. And because he was unsuccessful, out of anger... He ordered the murder and slaughter of every baby boy under two in the area that Jesus was in, in order to hope that he would be successful in killing baby Jesus. It's not new, friends. Evil does not take a break on Christmas. Secondly, evil requires euphemisms, right? Evil needs euphemisms. They need them. And they use them as strategies to defend the indefensible because abortion is indefensible. Infanticide is indefensible. And the only way that you can make these deeply evil acts sound intellectually tenable to the American public is through euphemisms. And Herod did this well as well. He did this very effectively. A very good sign of evil is the carefully selected use of clinical words or even kind words, even kind words that won't reveal the deep evil of your mission. And Herod did that. And the abortion industry does that because Herod described his intent to murder a baby, the incarnate person of Christ. He described his intent to kill baby Jesus to the wise men as this. He said, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. <laughs> One big euphemistic sentence to say, when I find that little baby, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to rip him limb from limb. Herod was using euphemisms at Christmas to try to kill baby Jesus. <laughs> but the reality is that he was unsuccessful, right? And so it says, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he lets reality slip. He abandons the euphemisms out of anger. And it says, and he sent and killed all of the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under. 
Evil does not take a break for the holidays. In fact, it increases its anger because the left and the abortion industry hate Christ. They hate religion. The only religion they love is leftism. The only religion they love is secular humanism, which says that they are their own gods. And because they are their own gods, whoever they need to to roll over, to walk over, whether it's the bodies of dead children or not, is perfectly acceptable because they are their own deity. And so they hate anyone that would threaten their own kingdom that they built on the blood and bodies of dead children. Christ threatens that kingdom because he says, the only kingdom that is real is mine, and you will either be a sheep or a goat. And so it shouldn't surprise us when the spiritual forces of darkness increase their evil during a holiday that is focused on celebrating the incarnate fetal person of Christ. So Miss Magazine continues and says, it's critical that all of us, members of the media, political candidates, and even family members gathered together for a meal, talk about the issue in language grounded in truth. <laughs> And avoid the intentional linguistic traps to the anti-abortion playbook. Wow. Well, we all know what kind of language you mean, NARAL at Miss Magazine, when you say language grounded in truth. You mean language like Orwell described language in his essay on politics and the English language when he said your language, political language, is designed to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable and to give the appearance of solidity to pure wind. That's the type of language you mean. And it's the type of language they're going to continue pushing on us and your children in order to propagandize and inculcate a society around an abortion ideology that celebrates the killing of children and denies the reality that the fetal person of Christ who stepped down into human history is coming back. And he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And that should scare all of us. So next, the New York Times calls a baby's beating heart simply, it's just the pulsing of what um, becomes the fetus's heart. And President Trump signs a bill making animal cruelty a federal crime. But if you like this show, want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the pro-life movement equipping you to defend life, then head on over to patreon.com slash unaborted. Patreon.com slash unaborted and help us just crowd, crowdfund this, this show. Become a patron of the show. That helps us reach more people, expand the reach, the impact, the quality of the show, bring on guests and provide you per perks as well for helping support this show. Because unfortunately, Greg Cunningham hit the nail on the head when he said there are more people working full-time to kill babies than there are working full-time to save them. We need more people working full-time to save them. And this show is intended to get more people into the movement to save babies. So with your help, we can continue to produce this show, increase our production value, and create a one-stop shop for people like you to get education, equipment, encouraging to go back out and be a voice for the unborn. We'll be right back. <laughs> So the New York Times botches biology in favor of ideology. Anyone surprised? <laughs> now, of course, if I'm preaching to the choir, none of us are surprised about this, right? It's the New York Times. It's a total joke of a news organization, clearly not objective. And yet one of the reasons it's important to highlight these types of pieces of news, especially as the political divide in our country continues to increase and as the elections are approaching and people are going to be forced to take sides is because many people who are Christians, many people who say that they're pro-life are actually not really aware of what's happening in the country on a regular basis. And I know this because this used to be me. This probably used to be you before you became 
culturally and spiritually woke <laughs> to the reality of the abortion industry, you may not have been aware of how intense the battle is in the abortion wars between both sides of the aisle. So it's important to highlight these things. It's important for you to share this show with people who aren't aware of this so that they can develop the type of moral conviction that we have so that they will act appropriately because moral clarity encourages responsibility, but moral confusion encourages apathy. So if you have something crystal clear in your mind from a moral perspective, you're much likely, much more likely to engage and act appropriately in your life, particularly as it pertains to your vote. And so let's examine this. The New York Times botches biology in favor of ideology by describing the beating heart of unborn children as pulsing. It's just pulse, it's fetal pulsing basically. And this has been the new phrase the last year or so from the abortion industry. This is their new favorite euphemism to describe the beating heart of actual biological human beings. So on November 16th, Rick Rojas and Jeremy Alford uh, published an article called In Louisiana, a narrow win for John Bell Edwards and a hard loss for Trump. It's talking about the Democratic um, Governor John Bell Edward in Louisiana, who's actually pro-life. And so they don't like that, right? They want to purge those types of pro-lifers from the Democratic Party. But there's a line in here where they're talking about the beating hearts of unborn babies. And it's disgusting. It's unreal. It's based on ideology. It's based on a fantasy. It's based on lies. They say throughout the campaign, Mr. Edwards, a rare Democrat holding statewide office in the South, shined a spotlight on his conservative bona fides, like his support for a state law barring abortion. After the pulsing of what becomes the fetus's heart can be detected. <laughs> He's talking about the heartbeat bill. That was right proposed in Georgia, Ohio, Louisiana, and others. He doesn't call it that. He calls it a state law banning abortion after the pulsing of what becomes the fetus's heart can be detected. Or sorry, both of them, Rick Rojas and Jeremy Alford. My goodness. So this would have banned abortion after a detectable heartbeat, which is at six weeks. But a baby's heartbeat doesn't begin when it's detectable. It begins when it begins, right, which is roughly 22 days. So, I mean, there's, that's a strange irony in these bills. Obviously, we hope that they pass because they would save more babies immediately whose lives are on the line. But from a moral perspective, right, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't make sense to say it's wrong to kill babies who have detectable beating hearts, but it's okay to kill ones who don't have detectable beating hearts. But this is the incrementalist strategy, trying to get people on board who have a semi-functioning moral conscience enough to say, if you have a detectable beating heart that I can hear, we shouldn't kill you. Of course, we shouldn't kill any human beings because we're not valuable in virtue of having a beating heart. We're valuable in virtue of having a human nature. And the beating heart will come along with that human nature. So the heart starts beating to 22 days. These legislation would have banned abortion at six weeks. And they call it the pulsing of what becomes the fetus's heart. <laughs> so this is another example, unfortunately, of forcing the language you need in order to further your agenda. Because you see, that develops too much of an emotional connection with the unborn child if you call them babies with beating hearts, <laughs> even fetuses with beating hearts. It's far more clinical to say it's fetal pulsing or the pulsing of what will become the fetus's heart, which is not based on biology. It's not based on reality because we know what the science of embryology teaches us. We know that the baby's heart, the biological unborn human baby's heart started beating at 22 days with a detectable heartbeat around six weeks. Manipulating language and facts in order to fit your narrative versus allowing facts to form your narrative, right? That's what's going on here. We're not going to allow reality to inform our narrative. We're actually going to manipulate facts and language in order to fit our narratives, which is a perfect description of most of the mainstream media outlets anyways. So what does this tell us? Well, it tells us that 
they all know they're killing babies. That's what it tells us. Because euphemisms are only necessary when you're trying to tone down the evil or violence of what you're defending, right? Because why else would you need a euphemism? (laughs) If something is not morally questionable whatsoever, then just use the word to describe it. You wouldn't need a euphemism to describe it. We all know this. This is why euphemisms exist, in order to make the acting question sound more acceptable, more saccharine, more clinical, more normal, more human, when the acting question is actually an inhuman act of violence. Euphemisms are also only necessary when large numbers of people know the truth. And they're actually using correct language to describe the evil in question. See, so, ooh, half the country understands reality, and they know that the baby is a biological human whose heart is beating, and abortion rips them limb from limb. Well, we, we have to do something in response to the people who live in reality, because otherwise their message might become the dominant one. So the mainstream media news outlets and the abortion industry resort to euphemisms. They need euphemisms. They have to have euphemisms in order to inculcate those that listen to them to combat the messages based on reality from like the science of embryology and pro-life individuals who are merely reciting the science saying the baby is a human and is wrong to kill humans. So that's what this tells us. It tells us they all know they're killing babies or else they wouldn't have to resort to euphemisms. If the baby wasn't a baby and didn't have rights, abortion would not be controversial, right? So euphemisms become a weapon to further your narrative and ideology. That's what they are. They're merely a strategy, which is what I just talked about with Herod, right? Killing Jesus. He was trying to kill baby Jesus. He was using euphemisms as a strategy to tell the wise men that he just wanted to bow down before baby Jesus, not kill him. (laughs) And the abortion industry does the same thing with abortion. So is it pulsing or is it a human heart? Is it fetal pulsing or is it a baby's heart that is beating? They have to use these euphemisms in order probably to live with themselves and go to sleep at night, but also to influence others to think the way that they think, to coerce a specific ideology. This is problematic, but it shows us that they all know they're killing babies. We need to take note and we need to share this with others. Lastly, a turn from the holidays a little bit, a turn from the manipulation of language and more towards a moral dilemma at the heart and the soul of our country. So President Trump makes animal cruelty a federal crime. According to the New York Times on November 25th by Mihir Zaveri, President Trump signs federal animal cruelty bill into law. Quote, the bill was passed unanimously by a voice vote in the House in October. It was passed unanimously by the Senate in November and went into effect on November 25th, Monday, November 25th. Trump said during the signing ceremony, it is important that we combat these heinous and sadistic acts of cruelty, which are totally unacceptable in a civilized society. Okay. Nobody really likes animal cruelty. Okay, I don't like animal cruelty. You don't like animal cruelty. Animal cruelty actually says a lot more about the person who's doing that, right? Because if you you think it's okay to, to sadistically torture animals or set up fights and get paid to do it and film it and 
put it online and stuff like that, which Obama made illegal anyways. Um, that says something about your soul, right? Uh, and William Wilberforce was actually very opposed to animal cruelty, as was C.S. Lewis, actually, because they recognized that while it was wrong, it actually did a lot more to the human soul of the perpetrators than the animals, because animals are not persons, right? They don't have souls. But the people abusing the animals do, and it mars their soul, and it means that they're more likely to participate in other types of heinous acts against maybe human beings as well. And the abortion industry and the left likes to say that we're no different than animals anyways, right? In terms of value, we're really no different. So that's why we can tell this orangutan in Florida that I talked about recently that he's actually a non-human person. And so because he's a person, he has rights and we have to respect those rights. But we don't have to respect the rights of a million babies that we kill a year. This is the complete inversion of morality. If we can't get humanity right, if we can't get human value right, then we're not going to get anything else right as well. And so this bill makes animal cruelty illegal on a federal level, which is very interesting. As Michael Knowles of the Daily Wire pointed out, it murder cases are dealt with on the state level, but now just abusing an animal is going to be dealt with on the federal level. Why should the federal government be involved in kicking a puppy, but not be involved in the slaughter of a human being. That's only dealt with on the state level. That's sort of strange because you have more accountability to your more local governments, your city, your county, and your state. The federal government does never do as good of a job imposing laws on all 50 states. That's what local governments are for. But apparently killing animals or being cruel to animals was so wrong it had to be federally banned Meanwhile, the murder of actual human beings is always dealt with at a state level. So that's strange. But to go back to Trump's comment that we, it is important to combat these heinous and sadistic acts of cruelty, which are totally unacceptable in a civilized society. Why is cruelty and violence against animals totally unacceptable? Well, I assume that the answer is that animals are sentient beings, right? We talked about this in the What's a Person episode recently. Animals are sentient beings. They can feel pain. They probably have some level of emotion, right? Because, I mean, they you see them play with their, their offspring. Okay, so they're sentient and we should respect sentient beings. And yet forget the rights of sentient unborn children because Senate Democrats won't even allow a vote on protecting the lives of babies who survive botched abortions and are born alive. So forget the rights of unborn children. Democrats won't even vote to protect the lives of babies who were already born alive during botched abortions, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, which they now have now blocked a vote on 90 times in the Senate, 90 freaking times. And they filibustered it initially. And all the bill said is you, if you survive a botched abortion, you can't be killed. The abortion clinic has to report the fact that you were born alive. You have to immediately be transferred to a hospital and be given the same level of medical attention and care that any other baby would have been given under normal circumstances. How is that controversial? Well, to Democrats, it is because they have no respect for the intrinsic dignity of life of human beings. But they do apply that dignity and value to dogs, to goldfish, to cat, to orangutans. What does this say about our culture? It says that we've lost our way. We've lost our way. We've completely abandoned 
the very principles that helped this country flourish in the first place, namely that the inalienable rights to life need to be protected and that the government is actually instituted to protect the most important rights. But that important right is being deprived to actual human beings while it's being applied and celebrated to animals. We've lost our way. How can a society flourish when the rights of animals to not be violently mistreated is celebrated and enshrined in law while the right to violently mistreat unborn children is protected and celebrated? That is not the way forward. That is not the moral path to take to rebuild a social fabric, to rebuild the culture, and to institute an America that will continue to flourish for the good of its citizens and for the good of the world. We've lost our way and we need to get back onto the right path. And as C.S. Lewis said, the true progressive is one who's noticed he's gone down the wrong path. He's noticed the consequences of his theology. And so he turns around and he goes back and gets on the right path. If you want to be a progressive as a leftist, that's what you have to do because this is all messed up. This is wrong to say, Animals have a federal right to not be violently mistreated, but unborn children, we have a right to federally to mistreat unborn children and force you to fund it with your tax dollars. As long as animals are given rights that humans are denied, our, continue, our country will continue on its crash course collision. And so near the end of the article, the New York Times quotes Kitty Block, the president and chief executive of the Human, Humane Society of the United States. And she says, the additional step of making acts of cruelty a crime makes a statement about American values. Yes, it does. It says our values are all screwed up. It says our values are inverted. Nobody likes to be cruel to animals, but those same people like to be cruel to unborn children. Until you get that right and you reinvert that to reflect reality, our country will continue on its crash course Collision Only by returning to and embracing our country's first principles enshrined in our founding documents, which were based on biblical truths, can we truly have a civilized society. That's what we need. That's what we need to work for. That's what we need to call on our elected leaders to institute. Thanks for joining me today. Head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give the show a rating and review to help us reach more people. Let us know what you think. And if you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com to get my training videos, my speaking schedule, and to join my newsletter to get more equipping and training to your inbox. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next week. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. (laughs) 